We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Thank you so much, everybody who is joining us this afternoon or this morning or this evening, depending on where you are logging in. My name is Shayla Rexrode. I am an education solution manager with Lenovo, and I am so excited to be here today to kind of moderate this session and to introduce my colleague, um, Brian Moynihan, as well as one of our amazing partners out of Ithaca College, um, Becky Lane, who is going to be sharing a little bit about their story with VR. Um, I will have give them an opportunity to share a little bit more about themselves in just a minute. But before we do that, we want to cover off a couple of things. First and foremost, this is the webinar that is going to be talking specifically about virtual reality and how it can really transform your classroom by empowering educators, might be yourself, as well as inspire students. And that is so much of what Lenovo is really committed to, is creating that sense of wonder, creating a sense of curiosity and inquiry, and really inspiring them to want to stretch themselves beyond the four walls of the classroom that they might be sitting in or this day and age, the laptop that they might be sitting behind from home or wherever they might be joining their instruction right now. So again, welcome and thank you for joining us. So about us, as I mentioned, I already shared a little bit about myself. I am really excited to introduce Brian and Becky. So Brian and I work together on the education solutions team at Lenovo. We are really tasked with thinking about what are the solutions that are going to solve current and future problems for yourselves as educators? What role can Lenovo play and how can technology really aid in the advancement of teaching and learning? But Lenovo, we recognize that none of this work is possible is, is possible without our partnerships with customers like yourselves. So we have had the advantage this past year to partner with Ithaca College in upstate New York um, with their College of Education program. Um, we started conversations with them, it was about a year ago, uh, where they wanted to introduce VR into their College of Education. They wanted to make sure that their pre-service teachers were gaining access to the latest and greatest technology, but also having an opportunity to think about what VR could look like in their future classrooms and with their student teaching opportunities. So we are also really excited to have Becky Lane from Ithaca College, who has really been leading that innovation um, on the ground joining us. And she's gonna share a little bit about their experiences with VR, the implications, um, some of the roadblocks and the lessons learned, as well as how you might start to think about implementing this either at a continuing education level or even within K-12. So again, really excited to have these dynamic speakers here with us today. So at this point, I am going to turn it over to Brian and Becky. Becky, I'm going to let you share a little bit more about yourself and your background, and then Brian, you as well, and then they will kick into the content. Thanks so much, Shayla. And thanks everybody for coming. I'm Becky Lane. I'm the Associate Director for Learning and uh, Innovative Technologies at Ithaca College. And we've been doing virtual reality for about uh, three years now. And uh, we've my, my job there is to sort of brainstorm with the faculty about how they can incorporate teaching and learning into their classrooms. Great. And I'm Brian Moynihan. Um, I'm a global education solutions manager at Lenovo and I lead VR Classroom. 
And um, I really believe in the power of augmented and virtual reality to change educations. I uh, am a true believer. <laughs> and so I think that we can use it uh, to raise the, the ceiling of, we, of the things that we can make possible, but also raise the floor um, to help everyone. And, uh, you know, before coming to Lenovo, I was at UNC Chapel Hill um, and thinking about how it could be used for pedagogy across the curriculum, thinking about how students could get their, you know, hands dirty, working on projects that, that can make the world a better place. And, and then in just in general for people in the network together. So like Shayla said, I think an organization like this where people can actually, you know, meet from other places and network, that's a, that's a powerful thing. And in particular in VR, which is really just starting to take off in education, we can really all learn from one another. So from here, I'll, I'll take, take us to the next step. So the name of this talk is How Virtual Reality Can Transform Your Classroom by Empowering Educators and Inspiring Students. And we're gonna begin with a poll. So let's launch into the poll. The poll question is, what experience have you had with virtual reality? And you can answer anything from novice, intermediate, advanced, and thought leader. Um, so novice is, you know, this is really your first exposure. Uh, intermediate would be, I have a headset and I've used it for fun. Advanced is, I've started to implement VR with students in the classroom. And a thought leader is, I'm a VR rock star. I create content and teach teachers how to create with it. And uh, the poll uh, numbers are coming in. It looks like predominantly we have people who are new to VR. Um, with stepping down for each level, uh, fewer people who are intermediate, fewer that advanced, and at least one awesome VR rock star <laughs> to call uh, out to. That's great. All right, thanks. I think we might, um, we'll add a couple more poll questions in here. Yeah, people do. Yeah, so more than half people are new to VR. And one of the things that we always try to do um, in my role is to think about how we can reach everybody, how we can reach the people who are just getting started and it's you know zero to one, they've never done anything before and they want to use it in their classroom. And and then also the people who are like the rock stars who take it to the next level and really everything in between. So we've sort of stair-stepped how that can happen. I think that if you, you can start with the, the basics um, and get started right away, um, and then you can go and, and try to move up to the next level. I think the highest level is is building things and game engines like Unity and Unreal, et cetera. Any thoughts, Becky? Um, yeah, it's great to see so many novices here. And I think that they're really going to get a lot out of uh, what we did with the Teach and the Teachers program and some lessons learned there. Nice. So welcome to everyone from, from all levels of experience. So I'll close the poll now. So our agenda for today, um, many people are taking this for credit and we wanna make sure that um, it's clear what we're doing and, and we thought we'd uh, talk about the agenda and then we're gonna use this um, slide. We're gonna come back to it as we go through each of our different sections. So you can sort of um, keep pace with us on that. So the attendees will learn how to first get started with teaching with VR and learn about the benefits that VR can bring to your classroom. Second, deploy a mobile device management system to easily manage a fleet of VR headsets. Third, create VR content with tools like Uptail, A-Frame, and Mozilla Hubs. Fourth, leverage tools like Vative as content for teaching STEM. And last, assess immersive learning experiences. So Becky and I are going to take turns and, and take us through this. So please uh, introduce yourself in the chat and let us know what you hope to, to gain from today's session. Um, we did learn um, 
for, you know, some people put in the chat where they were from, which is fantastic, and people from around the world. Um, and then also we, we learned like an overall general poll. Um, and then uh, if we could take it to the next level, sort of things that you would like to get out of this. Um, and certainly as we go along, we're going to have time at the end for questions. Um, and so we're going to be able to answer those as well. Okay, I'm going to move to the next section here. So the first part we're going to talk about is getting started. So in this section, we're going to talk about getting started with teaching with VR and learning about the benefits that VR can bring to your classroom. One of the things that I always like to start with uh, is to talk about wisdom begins with wonder. Uh, there's this great quote, and, and some people think it's Socrates. Other people have uh, put it on somebody else who had said it. But this basic idea that, you know, I think that there are essentially two schools of thought and metaphors for education. And one of them is that education is the filling of a bucket. You have a certain amount of things that people have to learn. And the other side is the lighting of a fire. And I really love the lighting of a fire side of what education can be all about. And VR has that ability. VR has the ability to entrance people, to bring them in, to make them care about what they're learning, to focus on what they're doing, to remember it in such a way as if they were already there and take it to the next level. So I think that's number one, the thing to start with is, is start from the student point of view. Secondarily, uh, I think we want to engage and inspire students and transform your classroom with an easy and complete way of teaching with, with uh, virtual reality. So that's something that's always been dri driven for me. And I have this vision of like the teacher as uh, a, a superman or superwoman, uh, you know, that they're, they're empowered, that they're taking their teaching to the next level. And so the question of why would you, should you use VR in the classroom? Well, we've seen a number of things and um, we can share those sources with you as well. Um, but we've seen things like uh, a 400 percent increase in long term retention of information. And this is largely because VR is um, taking over your <laughs> giving a lot of your brain to think about in terms of your visual cortex and also going into the spatial cortex, et cetera. Um, We've seen 3.75 times more emotionally connected to the learning content. So again, um, people talked about social and emotional learning, and I know that's a really big part of many schools. That's something that um, is something that you can use VR for as well. So when people think of VR, they often think of some sort of limited use cases like an architecture or things like that. But really, actually, some of those um, emotional ones are, are really amazing too, soft skills. We've seen that people are 150% less distracted in VR. Uh, that is certainly important for our students when we have that level of student engagement as that key element that really drives um, student learning. 85% of learners prefer VR over traditional methods. So that again is when somebody cares about doing it, they, they add more to it, they bring more of themselves and therefore can learn more. And it's also accessible to many different learning styles. And I'll go into that, um, the idea of the accessibility um, in a little more depth. So the idea of multiple intelligences. So we hear the diff there are different kinds of multiple intelligence. Some people, um, you know, there's different elements out there. There's the spatial, linguistic, intrapersonal, bodily kinesthetic, naturalist, musical, logical reasoning, interpersonal. And so all of these things come together. And, you know, sometimes people think about that someone is a visual learner or someone's an auditory learner. And to some degree that people have their preferred learning styles for sure. But moreover, we all have these multiple learning styles within us. And so I think that's a really important um, way. 
Um, so uh, with these multiple intelligences, I, I actually created um, a, a vision of what the future of the classroom could look like. And I said, the classroom of the future is going to look like a VR science museum. It's going to be um, like when you walk into a room and you see a giant T-Rex and it's there in front of you. When you see um, a, a pulley and you can jump up and down on it and understand physics by actually moving your body, that it's somehow social and moving forward. So at Lenovo, the way we're thinking about uh, VR is not just giving somebody a headset, but trying to think about all elements of, of how we do that. So um, our complete solution for teaching with VR includes the hardware, a headset that you can have. But in addition to that, the content that comes along with it, and we've seen the content get a lot better over time for VR, that we're seeing it's much more curriculum mapped um, moving in that direction. We also see that the teachers need training and they need time to do that training. And in, in addition to the ability to have some device management, which I'll talk to a bit, and support. So it's nice to have someone to call and not just be stuck and not know. So if you try to put these th things together yourself, it, it, you can do that, but it makes it a little harder to put all the pieces together. So at least at Lenovo, our vision is to try to bring those things together. And I think if you are going to be um, seeking a solution for VR, and uh, then you should look for those elements as well. One of the partners that we work with is called Vative, and I really love them because they have these really curriculum map learning modules. So again, they're thinking about the national and state standards. They're thinking about being expert certified scope and sequence. They're looking at formative assessments that are built in um, and, and thinking about something that, you know, for people who are teaching with VR for the first time, you're already going to be teaching about certain topics. You're already going to be teaching about the Pythagorean theorem or the Colosseum or something else. You can take in a module and relatively simply bring it into your class. And I think that one of the things that's interesting about VR that may not be intuitive at first glance, I think, is that actually the same content can sometimes be used by different age groups. Because a lot of what you do is it's not like you're going to be spending your entire school day every day in VR. And so you might be spending 10, 20 minutes here or there, but it's supplementing everything else you're doing and taking to the next level and getting people excited about it, maybe bringing out new elements that you hadn't considered before. And I love that when there's a community around this, too, because the same sort of topic, um, you know, when you bring it out, somebody is looking at it from uh, a different angle. So one of the things that if you took the history, I was mentioning the Colosseum, um, somebody else might be looking at the architecture of the Colosseum, or they might be looking at how the way that the, the seats are structured in the Colosseum is set up, um, and it's a reflection of the society at the time. Or maybe the, the building materials that they used had something to do with, uh, you know, the geography at the time. The geology. And so those are kind of interesting uh, ways you can get those things. Another one that we work with is wild immersion. So this is a fantastic one too. There are many use cases in which people just aren't able to travel um, because they don't have the money or it's logistically difficult. Um, and VR has these really great use cases around things like that. So I like wild immersion because it brings you straight up in person all of the animals from around the world in Africa, Asia, Amazonia. Um, but these are the sort of things in general that you know, we're looking at when does VR make a difference? And especially during COVID when many people weren't traveling, but for many reasons, including the you know, the cost and, and logistics of travel, it's nice to be able to have VR sort of bridge that gap and give people an experience of other places, other cultures, so that they care more about it and have a more vivid understanding of it when they're learning. 
Now, if you want to go and find your own 360 um, stuff on the web, um, I have a couple suggestions here. One of them is that you could go to YouTube and you could just type in any search that you want to do. You can search for space or New York City or Native Americans or whatever it is you want to search for. And then you can hit the filters button at the top after searching. And then there you'll see inside the search that you can um, click on things to see 360 videos or 180 videos. Um, 180 being just half of your vision, like behind you is black, but you can still see um, everything in front of you. Um, and if you go on a place like Vimeo, not every place on Vimeo, but many of them, um, you can go and hit a download button and download that video to your headset. So these are some places you can go and find it. There are others as well. Airpano is a place, and I'm sure you can do your own research and, and find some. Um, I believe that Pan Immersive has, has a great one for education that separates it out into different uh, topics as well. So you can find it whatever topic you might be interested in. Also 360 photos on the web. So you can go to a place like Flickr and type in 360 degree and then whatever um, term you want. So you might say 360 degrees and beach or forest or something like that. And then you'd be able to find those um, assets that you can use. And then you can use those 360 photos to bring somebody into it when they're on the headset. Also, um, in Google search, if you search for the term equirectangular, it's kind of a trick. Uh, that is uh, 360 photos as well. So you could say something like Miami Beach equirectangular, and you'd be able to search and find photos on the web. And if you have a 360 camera, um, and they're pretty easy to use, and they're getting less and less expensive um, for pretty good quality ones, it's they're it can be amazingly simple. There's basically an, a button, the one button that you hit to uh, to start recording. And you can take photos and videos with that. You can put it on a tripod um, and you could take it and edit it just like you did edit a video. And that's universal across headsets and in, in, including on the web, which we'll talk about in a minute. So now I'm going to go into the next section, which is the deploy section. So how to deploy a mobile device management system to easily manage a fleet of VR headsets. So the idea of a mobile device management system, if you haven't used one before, or an MDM, is that you want uh, you have a bunch of headsets and you want to put all this content on them. And so how do you get it onto there? Well, the old-fashioned way, as they say in the VR world, is to uh, is to plug it in, you know, just into your computer, and then you can drag and drop and treat it like it's another. Um, um, drive on your computer. But that is a slow and tedious process that you'd have to do for each and every one of these headsets. So if you just have a couple of headsets, it's not that big of a deal. But the more headsets you have, uh, the more of a pain it's going to be. And also you have to physically have access to the headset, a knowledgeable person has to be able to do it, etc. Um, and so with a mobile device management system, the way that works is you have like a web-based interface that you can come in and then you can easily add your own content click, 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 and you can send it out to wherever the headsets are in the world. So as long as they have get Wi-Fi at some point, then they'll get all those updates. And one of the benefits of that as well is it basically gives you infinite storage on the headset because if it only takes a couple clicks to add and only takes a couple clicks to remove from the headsets, then you, can, you always have space that you need on the headsets. So um, Lenovo's version of this, we call Think Reality, but there are the others out there. Um, and the vision of it is a pretty simple, clean inf interface that just really gets to your devices. You can see what's on each device and manage those. Um, your content, so you can add your own and, and see all your content. And then also your users, so you can set different kinds of user roles, who can do what. And what this empowers, um, when you add it in with the other content things, like for instance, if you download 360 videos and things, you can take your content. So anything that you've purchased, anything that was created by your students, created by your instructors, um, and I would definitely encourage um, both 
instructors and students to be creating on, on this really basic level where you get started. And then I think you'll get excited and, and do even more. Um, and anything that you discover out there, you can take all that content and pretty easily push it onto a, a mobile device management system. And, and so and it'll do a quick check to make sure that it doesn't have any malware. And with a few clicks, you can send it out to the headsets wherever they might be. So that I think is, um, Becky, you've talked before about the, the benefits of a mobile device management system. Any, <laughs> any thoughts on that? Yes, and I will again. Um, just that it's such a game changer for us um, trying to manage as many headsets as we have. But even if it's just more than three, uh, just having some central place where you can deploy content, add content, uh, monitor the device. It just it just makes a world of difference, especially if you don't have a big IT team to to back you up and to help you manage those um, those headsets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that vision I think is is starting to change how people use VR. So traditionally, people have always used VR in this sort of one person, one account, one login. Um, and I know that's actually been difficult for schools. That was one of the things that we always used to face um, is, is that license management and various other elements of it. So having something that makes it easier like this is really more of that sort of organizational approach and, and how do we do this um, at scale, which is different from that we might see with sort of um, consumer headsets that you might get um, one uh, headset for. So the next section I want to talk about is the create section. So this is fun. How to create VR content with tools like Uptail, A-Frame, and Mozilla Hubs. So Uptail is one uh, that um, we have partnered with Lenovo, and I really like them because that you can do all sorts of really advanced things um, with a very small learning curve. Um, so the vision here is that you would create interactive VR experiences from 360 video that you would then integrate more than 50 types of interactions, such as cognitive services and uh, 3D objects. You could bring in voice analysis. You can um, do some really kind of choose your own adventure educational things. And then finally, because you're building in quizzes and things into the interface that you make yourself, you can assess the learning and efficacy. So you can have those embedded assessments. You get all these analytics on the back end. So these pictures um, are a little small if people have the, the takeaway slides, um, but the, um, and you, we've got things like um, being able to see where people have been looking in the interface, et cetera, um, and the ability to bring in slides and do a practice PowerPoint. Um, when, when, what I love about um, when you see what people have done is they do everything, right? So some people are doing things that are more history. Some people are learning languages. Some people are um, making explorations of spaces. Um, and then um, other people are doing things that are sort of career focused, like what is it like a day in the life of a person who is a sound engineer or a day in the life of a scientist? Uh, and you can even kind of make them fun by like setting a little timer on it and they have 30 seconds to go and find things in the space and see how many they can get. Um, they can try it again. So people have used these in really creative ways, and I, which I really like. The next one I want to tell you about, and this one's great because it's totally free, is A-Frame. Um, A-Frame is built on WebXR. WebXR is this really terrific um, open standard. And I'll say one of my favorite things about VR and as it's developing, and this is really good for educators, um, is that there's two standards that are sort of taking over the, the VR world. And one of them is WebXR, and that is having to do with the web. And then, you know, like all the things that web enables, right, that people can immediately push out content to the world, that they can create with it because it's a content that a lot, I mean, a, a technology that a lot of people already understand. Uh, all those benefits, um, you know, you're not stuck with walled gardens of certain companies and their content. Um, there's many benefits to this. And in fact, it works on all kinds of different devices. 
Um, so, and one nice thing about A-Frame too, is totally free and it uses the standard HTML, JavaScript and CSS that you would use to build any website. So you can look at these things on here. Um, and in fact, if you go to their website and check it out, you'll see that you could just click in the corner and see all the code that they did and remix it. So there's a picture here that, of a 360 photo that you could see right in your browser and you can um, you know, move your uh, mouse around and, and see in different pictures. Um, but in addition to that, there's some words at the bottom of the screen. And when you look into the code, you can see that you can very easily replace that photo with whatever photo you want. And you can easily replace that text with whatever text you want. And then once you get that sense of empowerment, you're like, I did that. I changed the text. Even if you only changed one letter, that sense of empowerment that people get um, is like one of my favorite things in the world because that's how you get started. That's the first you know, victory that you get uh, towards moving and really creating and being creative with these things. So it's easy to remix. Remix is maybe one of my favorite words <laughs> in the world because you can take these things that other people have created. It might take you a long time to learn how to get there, but with a remix, you can start to, you know, tweak it and change it, which is fantastic. And this works across all kinds of headsets and, and, can, and in fact, on any web-enabled device. So increasingly, things that are in the WebXR sphere, you'll find some people wearing headsets. Um, and I'll, I'll get to the next one here and, and show you in a little more detail. But um, Mozilla, which are the people who bring us Mozilla Firefox, um, also have Mozilla Hubs and Spoke. So those are two different things, but they're interrelated. Mozilla Hubs is a free multi-person avatar chat. So you can come, it works on headsets, but it also works on all these other web-enabled devices. So one person might be coming from their laptop, another person could be coming from their phone or tablet, somebody else is on a headset, somebody's also on a different kind of headset, and they can all be in the same virtual space. All of this is totally free, and you can set it up like in a snap, like with no problem whatsoever. And then you can go and change that environment. So you can go up and you can bring in a YouTube video. You could take a 3D, um, if you had a 3D object that you had access to in some way that you created maybe, or that you found on the web, you could bring in a molecule and everybody could check out that molecule. You can do all kinds of cool things with it. And so the first thing you would do is just kind of use it, be in the space, do that. But Spoke um, is goes with hubs, like hubs and Spoke. Spoke is the way that you can go and create these virtual worlds pretty easily. And again, it's all browser-based. It's totally free. So you go in there on the same website, and you can, sit, you can choose from a bunch of set rooms that are already there. And it's like, today we want to teach class in outer space or, um, you know, maybe underwater. <laughs> we want it to be in a big building or we want it to be outside. Um, you can choose all these different things. And then again, that whole remix culture that you could take it and then you can change it. So you could start with a blank slate and you can add all your own buildings and things like that. Um, and one of the things that I, to me has been an inspiring uh, vision is this idea of taking the idea of a portfolio where a kid would show all the things that they've been learning on students um, and, and taking it to the next level, that there would be a digital spatial portfolio where you're actually in a, like a museum and you're showing off at the museum all the things that you did. So um, the, you know some of the kids who are younger, they might be a third grader who did this amazing drawing. And then when you click on it, then you can hear the, the kid talk about their own drawing. Um, or if they did something that was a 3D object, that could be in the space. If it was a video, if they were playing violin, and that could be another example. So there's some cool things out there. Um, and you could do a lot with Mozilla Hubs and Spoke. All right, with that, I'm going to pass it over to uh, Becky. Uh, and uh, Becky, Lynn, and I have worked together on all kinds of cool things. So I, I'm excited to, to, and hopefully I won't interject too much. <laughs> you need to so over to you, Becky. All right, thank you so much. Um, 
So yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk about VR. And one of the things that um, Brian said about these moments of wonder, um, so we we work really hard to integrate VR into to learning at Ithaca College, and we've done it across the, almost all of the schools, um, occupational physical therapy, art, um, and um, some sociology. We'll talk about education today. But we also just have open hours where people can come in and put a headset on. And my favorite thing, and Brian, you probably experienced this too, is putting on a headset and watching somebody put on a headset for the first time. And uh, that just that that feeling that they get that this is uh, this is amazing. You don't can't maybe put your finger right on what this means, but you know it's big, and you know that VR is powerful. Um, so uh, we've been working really hard to get it into the classrooms, and we we started small. Okay, the, we had an idea like okay, we we think there's something to to explore here in VR. Uh, but how do we start? So we started with just a couple of consumer grade headsets and um, a lot of uh, hitting the pavement, showing it to faculty and asking if how you know they would they want to take a chance on this. Um, and a lot of them were really excited too. But we really um, what really helped us it didn't really help us, but really um, helped give us a great use case for VR was the school shutting down because of social distancing and COVID. So we had a situation with their education department where they needed to have their budding student teachers teach in front of their peers. But all we had was Zoom and people were really tired of Zoom and uh, we needed a different solution. So we decided that we were going to send out headsets to all the students in a, in a particular class and meet in social VR, where they could uh, embody an avatar and interact with their peers, uh, not just on a flat screen, but in 3D, in a 3D environment. And that's where they would practice their teaching. So we sent the headsets out. We gave lectures on how to use the headsets, how they would use the headsets for um, different types of learning. How do you take care of the headset? All of the things we gave them lectures on. Uh, and then it was up to them to take their hardware and come up with a, a use case with our help and build something uh, that they would use in their curriculum, their sample curriculum that they were building. So. Uh, the first round, we did uh, a consumer headset, just a basic one. We went out to, I think I, it was the middle of the pandemic, and I went to every Walmart in a 100-mile radius and bought up every one they had. Um, so that's step one of the initial project. Uh, we got them on a program called Altspace VR, uh, which is um, a world-building software that is free, um, but it is somewhat limited because it's not cross-platform. Um, and we asked them to build something related to what they were teaching. And they made some really amazing things. Uh, there was uh, some English students that made a re recreation of Walden Pond because they wanted to teach about Thoreau and Transcendentalism. Uh, they had a, a, a couple of students create together um, a, a mock debate in a congressional hall to teach about American politics. And uh, we had an especially uh, industrious pair 
create the Andes mountain range to teach about the Incan empire. And what we found in just this little pilot that we did is that students really liked it. Um, they reported feeling that they were more connected to each other and to the campus. And they were so excited about using this new technology and, and not only to be able to use it, but to get an education in how to apply it in their, their classrooms that they will be going out into the world and teaching. They also really loved the hands-on aspect of it, the, the feeling that they're in a social space um, and they felt less lonely, which I thought was very interesting um, that they were able to connect with each other. Uh, some of the things that didn't quite work, aside from you know just the trying to accumulate all these different headsets in this really kind of pell-mell way, uh, was that the headset management, as Brian talked about, is, was difficult. Um, I, I had to load up every soft every headset and get them running for uh, twenty students, and that took a long time. Um, there are some privacy concerns about some of the. Uh, the platforms that we were using and even just access to that particular headset. Uh, the battery life uh, often would not make it through the classroom. So we, if somebody disappeared out of our social world, we just had to assume that, well, their battery must have run out and, and uh, then they would have to get on Zoom and say, hey, I'm still here, but they were no longer able to be in the social world with us. Uh, the content was not too prevalent. That's why we used um, a content builder so they could build their own. Um, and again, the, the cross-platform, if somebody was on a Mac, they couldn't use the software that we were asking them to use. So we had to come up with some accommodations for them. Uh, so those were some of the hits and misses from our initial pilot. It, it, the idea was great. Um, it, when it worked, it worked pretty good. Uh, we had to leave some people out. Some people like had to drop out because either their headset was overheating or the battery ran out. Uh, so it was, it was a mixed bag, but it was successful enough. And we knew it was, there was enough there that, Hey, let's do this again. How can we do it again? How can we do it better? And this is how we did it better. So we um, had the opportunity to partner with Lenovo and they um, helped us with um, outfitting the uh, teacher kit, which is a traveling set of 10 headsets. And we sent each uh, student a Lenovo headset. And then we gave them education in the programs that Brian had talked to uh, you about earlier. So that would be Mozilla Hubs, Viative, and Uptail. And uh, the Uptail, I think, is particularly interesting because people were able to create these really interesting VR experiences without having to know any kind of coding. So uh, the people who were the um, STEM teachers, they gravita gravitated towards the Vative content because it was pre-made, um, preloaded, it worked, it worked well, it had curriculum uh, that they could use before and after the VR experience. Uh, so they went in and they chose their own um, experience and lesson plan from the Vative menu and then wrote a, a complete lesson plan around that uh, and then taught their students um, from the, the Vative platform. For Mozilla Hubs, 
we had some really interesting projects. This is a um, an example. One example would be the uh, this two students who made this winter wonderland, where you arrived, you chose uh, to embody some sort of animal, and then you got a, a lesson sort of slash quest on how to use figurative language. Sounds kind of like a, a, a weird mix, but it worked because <laughs> it was fun and it was engaging and you got to be a fox that learned how to use words in, in cool, different ways. <laughs> um, and Uptail. So we had a couple of students who used Uptail and they, they were real go-getters. They went out, we had a 360 camera that we gave them to use for a day and they took it out to this solar farm. And this particular solar farm had sheep that they used sheep to control the, the grass because I guess uh, you can't really mow because it could damage the solar panels, but sheep, I guess, are, are the way to go. So they took the camera out and they had an entire lesson on this uh, program that uses sheep for grazing and keeping um, solar farms nice, the grass nice and short. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about how the students liked the, the program that we did with Lenovo. Uh, so we asked them questions and asked them to give a specific feedback on you know, how, how they thought that VR made a difference in their teaching and how they felt about their experience. And one of the questions we asked was, if you were the student, how valuable would you find the VR activity that you planned? And we got a lot of the same uh, types of, of answers that like virtual reality gives students the opportunity to see what these environments are like in real life. Or VR provided a unique experience that wouldn't be possible without the headsets or taking an actual field trip. And even though the activity could be technically completed within the classroom using paper handouts, I think using the VR technology creates an engaging space for the students to get excited about the information that they're learning. So uh, these are all things that we see too, as people who are um, putting people in headsets all the time and, and being the teacher. So we, we see this reaction all of the time. And I think this is an interesting um, use case that you've got because um, you are a higher ed institution, and, but it, it's, you're teaching the teachers and these people are bringing it to K-12, you know, and so um, whether, and you actually, you have more than one round of this, both, both undergraduate um, teachers and then uh, mm -hmm. graduate level um, who can take it. And so um, did you see levels of, of creativity that you didn't expect? A lot of people are, are doing it for the first time, but uh, you seem to give us some great ideas. Yeah, you know, what, what we saw was a little bit of trepidation at the beginning. They were super excited about having the tech. They were nervous they wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but I was amazed at what people were able to create. You know, just once they, once you, the, I think the key is putting on the headset and seeing the power of it. Because once that happens, you're like, oh, the wheels start turning and you can start thinking about all the different ways you can apply this technology, all the different ways that you can use it. And the technology, I think the software, the, the accompanying software programs are so powerful these days. Like you can make this without even 
any coding at all. You have a 360 video that you can find on YouTube. You have a photo that you can get on Flickr. Uh, you add your own text. You make learn a path pathway, and uh, you've got yourself a, a great experience. Um, another question we asked was, uh, what suggestions do you have that would make learning and mastering this technology easier for you? And overwhelmingly, they said they would be a lot easier to get adjusted to the headsets if there was actual tasks or activities or examples that would be used in lessons that they could practice going through. And uh, the other uh, one I highlighted here is, I think it would be uh, it would be nice if we could try these things in advance a little more. And I, I kind of have to uh, smile a little bit because we try to give them as much uh, experience beforehand, uh, but it's never really seems like enough. So I think that the one of the takeaways is to um, really take the time to learn the technology and to be comfortable in the headset uh, and make sure that you know how the buttons work and that you know um, you know what happens when you look left or right or how how to escape something or if you get stuck what do you do um, and then to also really practice with the um, the software that that you plan to use I think that's really important uh, and this goes to this uh, idea of onboarding so we gave the students each a headset we gave them lectures. We asked them to play with the headsets, get the, the time in the headsets. Um, but I'm going to stress again, onboarding is crucial. Make sure that that actually happens. And if you're thinking about doing it, make sure that you spend enough time in your headset so that you're really confident about what you're, what you're doing. Um, if you're going to use a software, make sure that it's cross-platform because there's nothing worse than asking somebody to make something and then they can't because they don't have the right computer operating system. Um, and students also need time in the headsets to get acclimated. Um, this is outside of any kind of like asking questions or uh, do you get dizzy or do you need to sit down before you put on a headset? I mean, like you give them a headset, you're all, we're all ready to go. I think there's still sort of this, uh, and even, we saw this even with graduate students, this sort of giddiness about having a headset on that just needs a few minutes to kind of simmer down <laughs> and then the, the lesson can start. Um, and again, I'll say the enterprise level management is really invaluable when you're trying to work with anything more than you know a few headsets. Um, it, it will save you so much time and so much headaches, if, especially if you don't have uh, a lot of IT support. And I'm going to end with uh, just a couple of suggestions for, for those of you who are, are sort of uh, new to VR in education, like maybe you have worked in it a little bit before. Um, but it's, I think it's uh, really important to find your tribe, you know, and there's a lot of us who do this. And I, I think that if you go on your social media platforms and search for your groups, your user groups, Google groups, um, that you can find a lot of people who are out there trying to figure out how to leverage this technology. And, uh, you know, you've got your specialists like Brian who are um, available uh, for questions. And uh, they've got a, a research area on the Lenovo site, I believe. So check that out. And for that one, I would say my, my two favorite groups for that are there's um, the Immersive Learning Research Network. 
um, which is doing really um, research on that and actually is looking for people to contribute as well. That's more kind of on the higher ed, but it's it's international organization. Um, and then educators in VR. Um, so there's a bunch of them out there, but I think that to me, those are the two that um, kind of stand out as, as being um, groups to connect to. Yeah, and they're very active uh, and they're always, you know, sort of exchanging information and tips. Uh, and related to that, you should check the, the um, platforms of each uh, marketplace for each platform. Because they're always uh, sort of developing new games that you might be able to apply in the classrooms. And uh, that would be like even the Steam store where they have, uh, I wouldn't call it amateur ish i mean it's like it's un, unpaid content where you, people just upload things and sometimes it's uh, applicable to the classroom you can find some very interesting things there yeah one um, of the ones that was a little non-intuitive is one um keep talking and nobody explodes is a game where um you know one person is in vr and has a you know bomb to diffuse in front of them and somebody else or many people are outside of vr and they have the bomb manual and they can and so it's a game of communication so that's not only really valuable to people who um you know need to, to work on their communication skills in english but i've seen people use it in other languages and stuff as well so it's even harder if you're doing it with a foreign language uh, but there, that's an example of sort of creatively using something in VR that's really engaging to people and has a fun game-like element, um, but still mm -hmm. can be used for VR uh, for education. Yeah, and we've we've used a lot of the um, journalism videos in uh, a lot of the classes at Ithaca College, like from the New York Times, the Daily 360 was a really interesting uh, series that they put out. Um, so don't overlook the free content. Uh, and lastly, you know, my thing is is keep the VR fun and to uh, kind of roll with the punches. It's still relatively new technology. Just like any technology, uh, sometimes things don't go quite right. Not very often, but just like anything else, like I was having trouble with my sound on this platform a few months ago. <laughs> um, so you just, you just uh, take a breath, refresh, right, and move on. So that's my advice for um, uh, keeping things fun in VR. Awesome. All right. Um, thank you again, both. This has been absolutely amazing. We did want to build in time for a little bit of Q&A, uh, but we have had a couple of really great questions come into uh, the question box. Uh, we are going to do our best to address as many as possible. But the first one was really around appropriate ages to introduce VR. Um, Brian, do you have recommendations on kind of what is that ideal age range to maybe start to implement or introduce VR into teaching and learning? That's a good question. Um, so if you look at the research, and there is some some research out there um, about this, but there tends not to be much done on people younger than 13, or if there is, it's sort of like, um, and so definitely into, as an industry standard, people, you'll see 13 and up. Um, that being said, there's different reasons why that may be be the case. Um, I don't know if any um, stories of somebody saying that they've been sort of the younger kids have, have had damages from VR from, from moderate exposure. So if you're doing something that's like 28 minutes or something like that, um, certainly um, Google Expeditions was one of the things that drove uh, VR in education, and it was largely at the K-12 level. 
Uh, but there are other things that you might consider for kids at different ages. One of them is, um, you know, how does it fit on their head? Another one is it's sort of set for an adult's uh, interpupillary distance, the distance between your pupils. Um, and so for younger kids, it might not look as right. Um, and so there are other things that might be considerations, um, but they're they're really full range. Um, and so while what we're doing at Lenovo tends to be middle school and high school, we've, we've definitely seen um, applications younger than that and certainly in higher ed and beyond. And you you alluded a little bit to this um, just a minute ago, but why, in your opinion, and Becky, you as well, why are we now starting to really hear and see more about VR in education, um, knowing that VR has been around for several years? What is kind of that that force that's driving it right now to get a little bit more attention in education? Well, for me, I think it's content. You know, uh, I mean, yes, the tech is getting better. Um, the, the the industry is sort of seeing education as a, a, a something to concentrate on. Lenovo being a great example of that. But uh, it, if there's no content, it doesn't matter how great the headset is. So I think that that is going to be um, the, the biggest reason that we've seen that that you know, why it's gotten um, bigger in the last few years. Yeah, and, and certainly the technology. And so um, one of the things that's driven that is the um, is the um, smartphone uh, technology. So very small screens that are powerful and they don't overheat. And then you've got the, the ability to sort of move them around with the accelerometer, the, all the things you need for VR to be able to turn your head and see different things. Um, and so in addition to that, I think that especially now where we've been living with COVID um, since uh, at least March of 2020, um, then there's, I think a lot of people have sort of graduated up to Zoom, many people who hadn't used that sort of stuff before, and they're looking for what's next. And I, I think that the sense of presence that comes from VR, um, and people are starting to become more aware of it. And you even hear some companies that used to call themselves something like a social media company are now calling themselves a metaverse company as we're thinking the next uh, level of the internet, um, which is the sort of the internet of things that there's a spatial element to it. And, and we're all sort of embodied. Uh, so I think we're kind of moving in that direction. And one of the things that's exciting to me about VR is it's not a, only a way of capturing kids' attention now and, and teaching them things that they'll remember, but also it's giving them 21st century literacy skills. They think in that way and they carry it to their uh, the next part of their life. Um, and I think that they probably they will be um, lifelong educate um, people learning lifelong um, with this sort of technology. Excellent. And along those same lines, a couple of people have kind of posted a similar question in the chat of what exactly does a VR lab or studio look like? Like, it's, are we talking about like a computer lab? Are we talking about like what exactly does VR look like in a school or, you know, within a higher ed institution? Well, I can talk about what ours looks like. Um, we started out with just one room and a couple of headsets, and now we have a, a sort of a suite of headsets that have their own little traveling case. Um, I reappropriated a, a laptop cart and I took every other shelf out and I put a headset in there so people can come in and check out headsets um, with uh, their student ID and, and use all the content that's in there. So I think it really varies. And, and one of the things I'm really excited about is that traveling kit that we have with the VR um, headsets from Lenovo where we can send that kit out with the student teachers 
uh, to their student teaching experiences. So it can be mobile, it can be a room, it could be a corner of a room. I've seen them, you know, that you just check it out and bring it to a, a small room that you use it by yourself. Um, so it really, it really varies. Yeah, I think that it has to do with traditionally, actually a long time ago, you'd need like a full computer science lab. It would be, all, you know, the whole thing. Um, but if you're going back, you know, and even five years ago, you would need a $2,000 computer maybe to run it. Um, you need a dedicated space for it. Um, and those things aren't necessarily true anymore, although there's a whole range of VR experiences. So people who want really do want, want to do high-end things and get a really nice like Vario headset, that's going to cost them maybe $5,000 just for the headset. You know that, but that's if you're going to do surgical simulation or something like that, something that really requires high quality, maybe like reading the fine print sort of text um, sort of thing. Um, but then, you know, there's different levels of VR and and increasingly where it's getting to the point where it'll be a lot more like, uh, yeah, wheeling it into a classroom and and just like you sort of like the film projectors and uh, TVs of old, you know, that's sort of the more the model. Um, and then um, especially in higher ed, probably less so in K-12, but it's just a question of like, you could certainly give a headset to a student, and have them take it home. The question is, are you assured that you're going to get it back? <laughs> and so I think that the people's trust level at the institutional has to do with whether that, that works. But but certainly VR could be uh, a supplement to a Zoom call. I mean, we could all be here and, and uh, say, OK, now we're all going to jump in and grab our headsets and go back, uh, experience that and come back and then we can and continue here. So it. it um, it, it works in all kinds of different ways. Excellent. And Brian, you started to talk a little bit about this. Another um, great question that came in is around this idea of like, what's next for VR? Like you've shared a little bit about what the capabilities are today in the classroom, but someone actually asked, you know, are we familiar with some of the 360 content that's coming out where students can take a stylus or a pen and they can actually grab the image and drop it in front of them and start to maybe dissect a frog or have... An, an even more immersive experience with the content beyond where it is today. So as a solution manager at Lenovo, like kind of what are you seeing as that next big vision for VR? Mm -hmm. So there's different things that you can do in VR. And I often use the example of someone who's studying something like nursing, where uh, you've got the content knowledge that you want to have. It's like, you know, that you would otherwise learn from a textbook or something like that. You can learn that. But in this case, you could be inside the bloodstream, you know, and, and, and actually see what, what's going on. Um, there's also the procedural knowledge that a nurse would need to learn, like intubation, sticking a tube down someone's throat is a process that you want to understand all the different elements of it. And then VR can give you that spatial element to that. And then another level is this sort of interpersonal like this, uh, the idea that um, you would want to talk to somebody and give them a difficult diagnosis and have hard conversations with people, things like that. And all three of those are subject areas um, where I think that VR has a role to play. It will only get more spatial. Um, it'll only get more connected. Uh, I think that VR, you're going to see these more than one device um, coming together. And my ultimate vision, if you want to see, if you can look up uh, Brett Victor and his work on dynamic land, um, is, is to me very inspiring. So he looks at this vision of... Um, technologies as allowing us to think new thoughts that we couldn't think before. So something as simple as, you know, being able to do calculus with, with symbols or, you know, the ability, the alphabet or numbers as we, we know them in math. I mean, that even very educated people, even couple hundred years back didn't necessarily have all those skills. They didn't have graph literacy at their fingertips. And now um, XR will can, can take us and, and allow people to understand things that they couldn't understand before. And I think that's very exciting, um, especially if we can think about some of our youngest people or some of the people who are, have most 
trouble with traditional ways of learning. So I use the example of someone who's dyslexic, where um, the written word can get in their way, but they might be incredibly brilliant, especially spatially aware. Um, and then uh, VR is a way we can sort of untap that. So to me, um, we're just getting started. And every time a new technology comes around, like, you know, when we first had the ebooks or something, they're just digital paper, right? But the, but ebooks can be so much more. You can search in them. You can look at analytics across them. You can have videos in them, you know, and, and, and beyond. And I think that we're going to um, start to think about VR like that. Um, and we're only just now coming up with that sort of uh, grammar of what it means to, to think in VR. Uh, no, I, I know that, and Brian and I, you and I have talked about it, that it this might drive me back into the classroom because <laughs> I, I want to teach with all of this. Um, but it also equally excites me as a mom with school age children, the opportunities before them um, to just engage with content so differently than I did, uh, which I think is so exciting. And Becky, I think it's equally exciting the work that Ithaca is doing in order to really get ahead of this with future teachers um, to not only just inspire and excite them about their future of teaching, but to also, as you mentioned, to give them that space to experiment and to play and to feel really comfortable with it, but to also recognize it's technology. It's going to continue to evolve. But I think what you're doing is equipping them with the skills to say, okay, I can take on new technology. I can you know, trial and error, I, you know, can start to think in that way as new things come um, so that they are inspired to want to bring it into their future classrooms. So we just appreciate everything that you are doing. Again, we thank you so much for joining us. We hope that we um, were able to address some of the questions. We realized there were a few more um, that were posted than we were able to get to. So I also want to make sure that everybody has um, our capacity to be able to link up with us, to be able to join us on Twitter. And we hope that you will um, continue to reach out and have the conversation with us. So again, thank you to everybody who was able to join. Thank you, Brian and Becky. And we look forward to future conversations. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Have a great evening, morning, or afternoon. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.